Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and it's available to premium subscribers who pay five dollars a month and if you want to hear the rest of the episode go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and subscribe for only five dollars a month you get not only access to this episode in its entirety but to the whole backlog of premium episodes which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point so it's a great deal so without further ado here is the preview and i hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks where you can hear the rest one thing about having you as a guest is that you're not just someone who studies history. You're someone who is part of history as far as... I was a witness. I was a witness. Yeah, you're a witness. You know uh, all these people. So I know you have a very interesting uh, relationship with uh, Amiri Baraka. Some people try to make it sound um, very contentious, you know, but it seems like you guys were able to disagree and not fall out as friends, which is a rare thing nowadays. You know, they have a... I don't want to generalize, but they have a, a new critical establishment. And what they have is like first generation... Uh, people from different countries like Bangladesh and, well, I think, well, part of maybe part of India, I don't know. But they have a new Africa and all that who don't know what black people have been through, don't know black history. And in fact, I heard uh, one of these people say that the founding fathers wanted to give everybody the vote. <laughs> but anyway, you know, they just don't know the depth of black history and what we've been through here. So this uh, young woman from Bangladesh, she did a review of uh, my play the haunting Lynn Manuel Miranda in the Nation magazine. And she ended it with trying to start a little fight between me and Amiri. Do you understand? With, you know, like putting, putting each other's I read that head. review, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. You read the review? Yeah. I, I published more about uh, Amiri Brocker's books uh, than uh, Nation books. I, I was the one who published two of his books. Yeah. Not the Nation books. If they felt that way about him, why didn't they publish his books? No, I, I, and, I, and I do remember your introduction. I tried to tell her that she was picking up bad habits of her mentors. Yeah, and, and as, you, as you tell that story, I'm like, that, that is really weird because you did, like, uh, I've, got, I've actually got the book right here in front of me. Um, and I do remember reading the, in, uh, the introduction and I never um, got what uh, Baraka meant by that until just now, like just now when you said it, that uh, uh, doubters aren't followers and are distrustful of structures because you called Eldridge Cleaver a doubter. And you said that's, Perhaps what inspired Amiri Baraka to describe him as a bohemian anarchist, um, a highfalutin name for the trickster. And he said that, you know, people used him, but he also used them. But then you go on to say that, you know, there are tens of thousands of Eldridge Cleavers languishing away in prisons. And it kind of makes me think of something else that uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates had said, which is that, uh, you know, like there are film directors, there are novelists, there are great writers out there. Um, in black communities, but they're not doing that because they're waiting tables or they're, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're on the corner or they're in prisons. Um, he has a power, he has a power to publish them. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. You know, when we went to New York, when I went to New York, first of all, I went to, I was trained to be an investigative writer by uh, a Trotsky guy. So I know how to do that. I know my way around this stuff. So he told me, he said, you're not going to make it as a writer in this town unless somebody takes you uptown. Now I thought that meant getting on the subway and somebody would take me to, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he was right. You know, you have to have patronage, you know. And the thing about Amiri was he rejected all that. You know, Amiri was a token. He was at the height of his success when he did Toilet, Slave, Dutchman, all that, you know. But because he turned his back on it, his career in the media ends in with Dutchman. Yeah. And he wrote plays after that. 
that are terrific, you know? Yeah, he can never really get a fair hearing either. You know, his uh, his, his plays tended to be very, uh, uh, I, I always thought that they were they were critically panned on fairly, yeah, because uh, the, the, uh, the type of black expression um, that he came up with at the time wasn't popular. Um, and it kind of loose that to they it. Now. They, they give him away his books for Christmas uh, present. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. They, they had this little, this young woman, uh, what I call an amateur feminist at the time. She put down Dutchman, said it was deeply misogynistic, you know? Yeah, yeah. After, yeah. But after he died, you know, they, now they're giving his books away for Christmas presents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that always happens to writers after they die. You know, it happens to revolutionaries after they die is that once they can clean up and sanitize the image and then they can start selling them. It, it kind of um, loose back to something that you'd said. Uh, you weren't the only person that you'd refer to as, you know, uh, roadkill, like literary roadkill. You, you, didn't, you mentioned a few other people um, in your, your, your book of essays. You know, who, who are some of the people that had it not been for that period of time where uh, especially like black writers were, were thrown by the wayside. Who are some people that we would have heard about or who should we know about now? Well, we're trying to revive the uh, reputation of William Gardner Smith. Uh, you know, I've never seen a byline by an important black critic in the Times of Book Review or New York Review of Books and those places. I mean, I'm talking about black critics who devoted their whole lives to studying black literature. Like the late Reginald Martin, I mean, he's brilliant, but they, they don't get, like, like white scholars and critics depend upon the Times and other places to further their career. Did you never... I never see them. So I hired uh, Eleanor Trailer. I got Helen, Eleanor Trailer, who's Howard University Emeritus, the head of the English Department, to write a piece about uh, William Gardner Smith, who was a expatriate who wrote a, a novel called Last of the Conquerors, all about uh, you know living in France and and the wars and uh, this whole thing and Nazi conquest. He's nobody, you know. He's he's done. I guess I don't know. Charles Wright. We brought back Charles Wright's reputation. I mean, people say we're influenced by Ralph Ellison. We're influenced by uh, Charles Wright, who wrote The Wig. Messenger, he was, Baldwin gave him sort of like a send-off in the 60s, but he's a kind of sort of like surrealist that a lot of us are like. And uh, there are a lot of them. I mean, especially the women. As I said, I think Margaret Walker's uh, Jubilee is close to the great American novel of anything I know. But if you read uh, Ralph Ellison's uh, letters, you'll see how she was treated. They mocked her. You know, Ralph Ellison, who, and that's the point I wanted to make. When I went to New York, there were two models you had to follow. You had Ralph Ellison, who was jumping all of the young right black writers because he wanted to be the only one. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I interviewed him with uh, Steve Cannon, late Steve Cannon and uh, Quincy Troop and I interviewed him. And I asked him why he was so hard on young writers. And uh, he hadn't read many of them, but he wanted to keep that. As a matter of fact, when Rampersad's autobiography came out, I don't know if you read that. Vellison? Uh, right? I heard of it, but I didn't read it. Yeah, I haven't read it myself. Okay, He says, yeah, he was hard on young black writers <clears throat> and would promote the most mediocre of uh, white writers. But even with all that, uh, he was humiliated. I mean, he learned of his retirement from New York University by reading the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, it, it never pays off. It never pays off in the long run. It never does. They went in his office, they removed all the furniture. And then when he taught at Bennington, he had to share uh, an office with two graduate students. I mean, that's how they treat him after, you, after all that. So, so let me make the point. Mm -hmm. Then you had Langston Hughes. One is resentful of young writers and talent and competitive. Then you had Langston Hughes, who's very generous to the younger writers. Matter of fact, he was responsible for my being published by Doubleday. My first novel was published by Doubleday because at a party for Evtyshenko, the Russian poet, uh, likes to use, introduced me to an editor there. And I got my novel published. So when Tom Isha, uh says that I was hard on young writers because I'd said something, he had said, F Ishmael Reed. His parents made him read the effing Ishmael Reed. I like that. He's a good writer, man. And um, he told me, he said, well, you know, I'm hard on young. Well, I told him, I published more young black writers in the Atlanta Monthly. I published, more, 
I've published more black writers in the Atlantic Monthly, okay, which is still tokenism, like the New York Review book and the rest of them, the New York Times book review. And, and, and look at Melissa Harris Perry as another example. She's somebody that carried her water. And then got fired. Yeah, yeah. And in a most uh, ignominious way, like a horrible, horrible way. Uh, egg on her face, very bitter. She had to take Twitter to kind of rally the forces. And here's another problem, I think, when you get that token spot, because you don't get a natural Black constituency to your um, fan base. The fan base you have are other bougie Black people and white liberals who only like you because you're on the platform. And without the platform, they don't care about you. So this fan base that she thought she had, millions of people who are uh, watching her every day, they only care about the platform, MSNBC, and who's the new token of the day. So once you're out, they're not going to rally, you're not going to be able to rally them against MSNBC. They already have moved on to your replacement. No, well, well, Joy, Joy Reid, uh, dumped on Harvey Weinstein. And I wrote on Facebook that they, she had misogynists working at uh, MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Week, Mark Helfer got busted. The next week, Mark Helfer got busted. And he, he they, at least he tried to make a comeback. They let him try to make a comeback. And it depelled. Remember about two months ago that he was trying to sneak back in? You got Tom, you got Tom Brokaw still got a job. He's been uh, 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 criticized for sexual harassment. They all there. They, they do it, you know? But uh, they, they hired these, and I, I don't want to call them collaborators, but they should think about the fact that they could jump on a black football that always seems to be a black athlete or something, or R. Kelly or somebody, and they working for misogynists and sexists. I mean, why isn't that a contradiction? Yeah, for, for real. Uh, this yeah. is the last question I have, and I'll let Andre ask any, because uh, we've already gone, gone longer than I planned, but I was enjoying it too much. I wasn't going to say anything if you didn't say anything. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I get uh, to have a conversation with Ishmael Reed. You think I'm going to cut this short, bro? No, not at <laughs> all. Not at all. But uh, I, I wanted to ask with the James Baldwin thing, and I don't want to f- harp on him. I'm more into the idea of the token in general, not just him. You know, but There's a Baldwin revival. Yeah. No. It's a Baldwin revival. Wrong reason. Yeah, exactly. That's how I felt about that that movie, yeah. uh, I Am Not Your Negro. The, the version of Baldwin that they were um, selling was peak token Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And nothing, they shaved off all the edges. Of, I guess the parts of him that they liked, uh, they were able to preserve those and shave off all the parts that they didn't like. And that's what was kind of um, being shown. And Same thing they do with King, you know. Yeah, exactly. The mountaintop speech. That's it. If you listen to them, this is only speech he ever did in his life was was that one and that you know i, I have a dream but um but it's like it's like the elvis impersonators you know you got all these <laughs> yep yep frozen in time see, that's what i see guys trying to with no facts you know with no programs depending upon eloquence eloquence and, and what i want to know was this uh did you ever get a, a sense that he kind of regretted in any fashion or kind of appreciated the damage he might have done to um, the black writers he did hit pieces on and that he felt kind of used? Yeah, he told Julia Wright, whom we published, we published Julia Wright piece in the next issue, which is going to be up in a couple of days. She lives in London, I think. I have to ask my daughter who manages his magazine. But anyway, he told Julia Wright that he was used, that he was, he was used against uh, Richard Wright, her father. He told her that. Uh, did they ever patch things up, to your knowledge? No. Oh, that's a shame. The last, the last novel, unpublished, I try to get the rights to publish it. The Island Hallucinations, Richard Wright's last novel, which is at Yale, Banneke Library. He talks about all the informers and that the government sent uh, to spy on writers in uh, Paris. And one seems like Baldwin. Now, Baldwin, Baldwin was under the patronage of a woman to whom he dedicated another country. And she was uh, worked for the OSS, Office of Strategic Services, which became CIA 
tell Cecil Brown, my friend, I think Cecil Brown is probably Black Christopher in a novel. Uh, tell me how long the train's been going. There's a militant character named Black, new generation militant character called Black Christopher. He said that uh, if he ever wanted anything to ask her, and I don't know, you know, whether there was a tie in there, you know, because as a matter of fact, Baldwin's, uh, Baldwin had an FBI file too. It's like, it's like Elijah Muhammad and, and, and uh, uh, Malcolm X had a feud going or some kind of dissent going. The FBI sort of like exacerbated that. Yeah. And they did the same thing between Richard Wright and others, you know, other black intellectuals. But uh, his, his, uh, his, his going after black writers was probably, I mean, Chester Himes witnessed this thing where, you know, after, after Richard Wright had gotten involved in the Eugene Saxon Fellowship, and then he did the hatchet job on him. And there was this famous confrontation where Baldwin, after borrowing from Richard Wright, says the sons must sleep their fathers. And see, that's the kind of thing that goes on in Manhattan still. It's one of the reasons I left. Oh, still. Is that they have to fight each other. Like you got Mike Tyson. Ty- oh, what's, his, what's his name? Michael Eric Dyson. Good writer, you know? And Cornell West going at it in the New Republic for the entertainment of the liberal audience. And we got the same thing going on in the month. Now they bring people who are challenging our cults. All right, so that was a preview. If you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.